0: Australia broadcasting around the world. Around the world, you're listening to the Mitch Maroni Show. Here's your host, Mitch Maroni. Welcome, everybody. This is our first podcast, and I'm joined with Karen Simmons from the Institute of Public Accountants. Karen has been the general manager of the IPA for six and a half years. Prior to that, was the membership development and growth executive. Or approximately 12 months. Tell us a bit about yourself, Karen.
1: Hello, everyone. Yeah, I started working back when I was about 19. I've worked throughout my life in different roles and different places and have just continued on throughout the time. I now am a single mum who has worked in government business, owned my own business, and now at the IPA, which is, yeah, a great place to work.
0: Beautiful. Before we get right into it, I just want to make the statement of this is just a personal discussion between myself and Karen and anything that is said is just our personal opinions on everything. It doesn't represent the brands we're associated with, i.e. the Institute of Public Accountants or Moronian Associates. Disclaimer aside, let's jump into it. (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) So where did you start out your career?
1: I actually started at Bankwest back when I was 18. I started as a junior teller, earning about $20,000 a year.
0: Rolling in the money back then. <laughs>
1: oh, absolutely. I thought I was rich at the time.
0: So,
1: <laughs> started there and stayed within the bank for a while and kept taking new opportunities as they came up and ended up in their IT
0: division. Oh, okay. So, what drew you to the bank or was it just a job that appeared and you thought, it, yeah, that'd be a bit of fun or did you always want to sort of go into business?
1: I never knew what I wanted. Much to the disappointment of my parents and being the youngest child, my sisters always knew exactly what they wanted, where they were going and what they were doing. I tended to be the one that sort of floated around going, "Ah, oh, I didn't go to university because I didn't know what I wanted to do. My dad had been in the bank for many, many years. My mum had been a bookkeeper. So it was more just a stepping stone to start working and getting out there. And then, yeah, sort of developed things as I started learning more.
0: How long were you in the teller side of things before you went to IT? Uh,
1: two years. So I started as a teller, then went to being the commercial teller. Mm-hmm. And then teller one who sort of like orders the money into the branches. And then about two years after that, I moved into an admin role in IT development.
0: So with the IT side of things, I assume that's like the bank's IT and their systems? Yeah. Or?
1: So it was developing a lot of the way they do for Bankwest. It was the Bankwest Online Banking. So this was back in 2000s. It was developing their website, the platform that they do their lending on, all sorts of things like that. So I was predominantly in administration. I did do a very short stint in testing, so testing software, at which point I learnt that I'm much more a people person. and. (laughs) That testing is a unique skill set that is very specialized to certain people.
0: Yeah, I'm sure the IT guys were interesting. Nothing against IT guys, but yes, it takes a certain breed.
1: It does. It's also where I might have developed my coffee addiction from.
0: <laughs> well, good call. And then you ended up in accounting, so we're all coffee addicted. So it works. Absolutely. Well. <laughs> <laughs> so, how long were you in the IT side of things?
1: Again, two years. So I was at the bank for about four years in total. And then their IT department went through, I think, about three restructures in about a year. So in that time, by the time I left, I was a PA, but left in one of those restructures to move on.
0: Where'd you go after that?
1: From there, I started doing temp work. So I stepped out of the bank and stepped into another PA role at Department of Premier and Cabinet. So Mm -hmm. I was the PA for the Director of the State Sustainability Policy Unit, Professor Peter Newman.
0: That's a mouthful there.
1: It is, but really interesting. So it was as they were writing the State Sustainability Policy, you know, learnt so much about how you can't have just economic policy or you can't just have environmental policy or social policy, like unless you have all three of them together, it's just not sustainable and how you really do need to look at that to be able to do anything really going forward. And then just putting that into practical sense, like as we start developing further and further out into the Perth further regions, it's not only about the houses out there, it's then we've got to start building the infrastructure and the people's ability to get to work. So then there's economic issues out there. There's no schools out there. So it's yeah, it was really fascinating and something I really enjoyed doing.
0: It's funny because you think, oh yeah, like we're building a new estate or whatever, but... Yeah, you often don't think of the the logistics behind it as mm. well. You know, how if they all work, for argument's sake, in Perth and it's out in the hills, how are they getting there? And, Absolutely. And, you know, having schools for kids and even, I would assume, just normal infrastructure, you know, water and electricity. Yep. That would be a mammoth undertaking to just create an area.
1: One of the most interesting facts I found out in that time was that, well, and again, this is going back 20 years, that the size of the Perth metropolitan region was actually the same size as the London metropolitan region. Really? Yeah. And so then you look at the population differences between the two cities and then also the infrastructure, like the tube system and everything that London has, yeah, just how different they are. And so that's a lot of our reliance on cars here in Perth, the need for the quarter-acre block, needing to do infill, medium housing, density, things like that.
0: So, yeah. For those listening that don't know, Perth's got – Approximately 1 million, if that. I a, thought we are at 2. Okay, 2 million people <laughs> and I'm not sure what London is, but I'm sure it's a hell of a lot bigger than that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: 2.14 million, there you go.
0: Ah, beautiful. So it's great when... Benefits of Google.
1: So
0: <laughs> <laughs> 2.14 and I would assume London would be 20 or 15 to 20? Nine. Nine, okay.
1: 9.3.
0: That's smaller than I thought. Still four, almost five times the size, <laughs> but it's still smaller than I thought. <laughs> so, yeah, like in Western Australia, we've had some big expansions more recently, big train line linking the south side of things to the north and that side of things. But we definitely like the infrastructure that somewhere like London does or yeah, any of those big populated sort of places. In your experience there, what was it like?
1: It was very interesting. So when you get letters from, so I was taking, doing a lot of the administration of people putting in their submissions for the strategy and then having to respond to people, basically just typing up the responses, but it's all like communications from the premier and those very specific ways you could address them down to the exact font of the style guide. You know, it was...
0: You can't yeah. be like, hey, Barry, I want this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, not so much. <laughs> Yeah, most of it was when I was doing that. So Professor Newman would do a lot of presenting for people. So I'd do up his PowerPoints and things like that. So that was really fascinating to see really what he was going out and telling people. And I've forgotten a lot of the facts now, but.
0: (laughs) That's all good. That's all good. It was a little while ago. How long were you working there?
1: About nine months. So it started off as a two-week temp gig and ended up being nine months.
0: Well, that's good. Yeah. They, They couldn't get rid of you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they tried. <laughs> so where'd you go after that?
1: It was a, another <laughs> temping job after that where they couldn't get rid of me. So I went to the Swan River Trust on a two-week administration temporal. I always get the amount of time wrong, but I think it was about two, three years that I was there in the end.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they really couldn't get rid of you. <laughs> no.
1: So I ended up going into a role of the communication officer for events. That was my first event role that I did and really enjoyed it and creating a lot of publications, getting out there with the community. I used to organise a lot of education. So we had corporate care days. So organisations, so say we would be in touch with Marinian Associates and you would organise a day for your staff to go out on the river and do something to facilitate the health of the river and learn about the different things that are affecting the river. So it may be picking up rubbish, doing some weeding, planting sedges, things like that. And we'd sort of tell you about the different things that were impacting the river, going to like the Royal Show, different community, but there was like the Autumn River Festival back then. Did the stand for the opening of the convention centre. So all the government agencies were there. So we did the Swan River Trust stand there. So yeah.
0: Beautiful. So the Swan River Trust essentially is to maintain the Swan River itself and keep it in good health and et cetera.
1: Yes. So it looks after the health of the Swan and Canning Rivers. And so when I was there it was during the 150-year anniversary of the Swan River Colony. Okay. And we're actually, they went through and they named like a, quite a few different iconic things of Perth or Western Australia and the Swan River was the first one that they
0: named. So ah, beautiful. Mm. And for those that don't know Perth, Perth sits on the Swan River, just to put context of where the Swan <laughs> River is. <laughs> you organise the events and corporate days and, and that side of things. Yep. I've been thinking that something like that would be good from a, I suppose, from our business point of view to to give back and that sort of thing. So it is good to know that charities, I presume they would be a charity or not for profit. Uh, government agency. Government agency. There you go. Do sort of do that sort of thing. So that's handy. Yeah. So I suppose now that you've you've got your, your entertainment event side of things, where'd you go after that?
1: From there, the next major job was Securities Institute of Australia. So that was a membership association and they did education for... Financial planners, stockbrokers. So it was a graduate diploma in applied finance and investment, which is sort of the qualification to have if you wanted to be in finance in Australia. Not long after I started there, they merged with the Australasian Institute of Banking and Finance. And that's when we became finzier. I was there for about three, four years. By the time I left, we'd actually sold the education arm and become Capcom.
0: What's your experience there? I mean, stockbrokers, <laughs> financial planners, nothing against them, but they're different. <laughs>
1: They're not that different to accountants though, so... Let's um, in and
0: of itself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I found it really interesting. So my role there initially was in client relations. So I used to go out to university fairs and talk to people about doing study and doing the graduate diploma or what have you. It was around about the time where what's now the FOFA laws, what was back then policy statement PS146. The ability that (laughs) you you needed to have certain education requirements before you could get licensed to provide advice in different areas in finance. So, it was a lot of going through that and helping people choose the education that they needed to do to make sure that they met the education requirements for what they wanted to do in their careers.
0: The educational component, did they have to do a mentoring component or anything or was it just purely educational?
1: It was just purely educational back then. So, there was Other requirements within the licence, so this was just the educational requirements. Yep. They've definitely increased the requirements since then.
0: Yeah, 100%. Spoke to a few people and correct me if I'm wrong, they've decided to change it and they have to have a degree. Yeah. So,
1: FASIA has come in recently and that's brought in some even more, even stricter requirements if you're going to be providing advice. So, yeah, there's degree, postgraduate, ethics, like all these additional things that you need to do.
0: Yep. Which, I mean, I'm not opposed to. As accountants, we get the degree, we do the postgraduate, we do all that sort of thing so we can give tax advice. You know, if you're advising people where to put their money and all the rest, probably get some level more than a six-month sort of training. <laughs> so it is one of those things that I've heard the other side as well. Like I know a few financial planners locally and they're kind of you know, 50, 60, been in the industry for ages and don't want to go to a degree. And they're having issues with it. So they've just decided to sell up.
1: That tends to be the issues with a lot of these new processes. Like it's great for new people coming in to make sure that they have the education behind them Mm. and the standards behind them. But it was a different world 40 years ago. You know, you could get it. We did lectures and had a lot of dealings with practitioners in the finance profession. And there was people who started as the mailboy and Mm. worked their way up. And then they've done things like the Graduate Diploma of Applied Finance Investment and they've got the qualifications and they're amazing at what they've done, but they didn't necessarily have that degree. And I don't think the degree necessarily says, yes, you can
0: do this or not. If you've got 20 years experience doing it, that's going to count more than a piece of paper that says, yeah, you did the degree. I'm not a financial planner, obviously, so I don't know how it all works, whether there's grandfathering things, but yeah. I'm not sure at the moment, but yeah. It does seem like something that there should be. I mean, even 'Cause similar thing with accountants when the tax agent licence came out. You know, there was people that prior, you know, probably didn't meet the requirements and then had all those issues. But I suppose that's also where they have a good turnover. Well, not good turnover, but the people that were kind of teetering on looking at getting out anyway, go, you know what, I can't be bothered. I don't want to go back to study. I'm gonna sell up. And then the next people go in, yep, sweet, I can buy it and off we go. So Yeah, look, it it is interesting how it all works, but yeah, it's definitely hard. And I do feel for those that have been in the industry for decades and they didn't have an intention to get out and it's not worth them to continue. Mm -hmm. I do feel for that. So I suppose with that, Dinzia, what else was sort of your experience there?
1: So I was there. So not only looking after the education side of things, I used to organize all the lectures. So we would get practitioners to come in and present basically a module within the subject. So I used to organize all of those. So it was a lot of networking with different people throughout the finance industry, talking to practitioners, talking to the students and very much not only selling the course or selling membership, but making sure that you were Matching the person with exactly what they wanted, not just yeah, making yeah. their numbers sort of thing. So, yeah. Yep.
0: And I do think a little side note on that one I do think the IPA is really good with that. I know we're not talking about the IPA, but from an accounting <laughs> point of view, you know, they don't just sell you stuff, they help you out and actively engage and, you know, give you. Yeah, that.
1: that's one of the things I'm actually really passionate about is there's no point selling someone something that they don't want yeah. or doesn't suit them because all that's going to happen is you're going to get their money once and then they won't return. You won't get any return business from them. You'll leave a bad taste in their mouth and then they either won't recommend you to their contacts or even worse, they'll turn around and say, don't go there. Whereas if you actually sit down, help someone and either find a way to make your product suit their needs and meet their needs or help them find what will, you may not get the sale then and there. It may not be a case of that you were the right fit for them, but they'll remember the fact that you helped them. And so then they'll either recommend you or later on in life when your product does suit what they're after, then they'll come back to you because you left that good feeling about it.
0: Yeah. And I mean, from, say, my business point of view, so I run an accounting firm, similar thing. It's not just selling the tax return and that side of things. It's the experience of it, which I suppose is very similar with IPA, like you said. And I've said at many accounting conferences and stuff is we all work under the same law. So in theory, you can come to me or you can go to... Joe Blow down the road, and you should get the same tax amount, yep. give or take. So, what sets you apart? You've got to have that personability, that rapport. You've got to be able to have somebody trust you. We've kind of, like, obviously, we bill and fee and stuff, but go off of the belief of, you know, this is what we're doing price wise and stuff. Help the client first, and then the money will come after. Even for the sake of, I was actually talking to somebody yesterday about this. They came in to do a tax return. They had literally nothing in their tax return. They made ten thousand dollars, no tax, no nothing. You know, we had a chat and went through it, and I said, you know, look, if you want to, I can do it. That's no worries. But obviously, I'll charge you if I do. But you know, in your situation, my bill's gonna be bigger than your refund's gonna be anyway. I would say, look, just go do it on my gov or E tax or whatever. Get it that way. So it comes to the same outcome. Yeah, I didn't make the 180 bucks on that tax return. But I've just essentially gone, I'm not here to rip you off. You know, you can just do it yourself. If you want me to do it, yeah, sweet, you know, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to give you that option. I've found in the past as a consequence of doing stuff like that or, you know, just helping people, especially in their times of need, I do a lot of pro bono stuff. It just comes back tenfold. Yes, obviously, it's for business ultimately to get the money, but just doing these things, I think it's just our job as a firm, as accountants to support it, you know, like a mm-hmm. client, unfortunately, their father killed himself. He had assets and all this sort of thing. You know, it's, it's a rough time. They're grieving as well. So it was in a quieter time as well, which does help. So I probably did three hours or so, just pro bono stuff, sitting with them, helping them, signing stuff, mm-hmm. certifying, this is a true and correct copy and all that sort of stuff. Pro bono, you know, they were clients anyway, just to help support them. It's not costing me anything except for time and, you know, it's the quieter time. So I had the time. And then from that, you know, they sing my praises and I've got at least 10 clients from that. Not that that was the intent to do this. So then they refer, but it's just a consequence. And I do love, like with the IPA, for example, that they kind of operate similar in the way of it's not pay your membership, catch you later. It's trying to support and all of that. And because you do provide that support and obviously the knowledge and all that side of things, you know, you're happy for the next year to pay your fees. You're not like, oh, is it worth it? I haven't spoke to them all year and the only time I actually get anything is a letter with a $1,500 bill or whatever.
1: <laughs> and that's a big thing about us is that we want to make sure, especially here in WA, we do try to make it feel more of a family and a community than just an organisation. Yeah, and um, I think the IPA is
0: really good for that, Um, in my experience, obviously. I can't sing the IPA's praises big enough, but it's really good having that support, even having the other avenues within the IPA. And we'll get back to the work experience in a minute, but professional assist, for example. The Institute of Public Accountants, the IPA, have an agreement, I don't know. Uh,
1: It's sort of a partnership with IFX.
0: So IFX does legal sort of advice, and we get four credits a year.
1: Four free credits a year as members. You used one yesterday, Mitch.
0: I did, actually. I've used two (laughs) this week. (laughs) You know, it's great. So as a practitioner myself, you know, sometimes things you don't know or you go, I think this is the interpretation, but, you know, it could be out of the norm or whatever. You know, being able to just contact them and get a legal advice is amazing, even to the point which I'm sure they don't normally do. But one of the lawyers called me up the other day and we had a 40-minute discussion on the phone. Oh, um, that was
1: good of him. <laughs>
0: it was. was. Hats off to him. I was very happy with that. But um, <laughs> i sure they don't normally do that. It's stuff like that that the IPA themselves, they personally don't do it, but they've built the partnership with a company that will and that really supports us as members and practitioners. So, yeah, hats off to you on that one.
1: Yeah, that's one of our... Really good services that we offer. So yeah, yeah so and fantastic I, 100%, offering to members.
0: A hundred percent. And I'm always surprised with how, not how few, but I know a lot of people use it, but that it's not like everybody just uses it because even another one of it, but I was given advice on a sale of a license and there was all this complicated stuff. And I pretty much worked out what it should be, but we're talking it was going to be a $6 million game. So if I'm wrong, that's a big fallout. So I went to professional assist, laid the entire scenario out, what my thoughts were, yada, yada, yada. And then they came back with the full actual legal advice, you know, different sections, all that jazz, which gave me the confidence to go, you know what, I was right, and then give that advice. And it also covers my ass as well, just in case something goes wrong.
1: The fact that the advice quite often is in writing, so it means it's covered by your insurance, is yeah, a huge help as well.
0: Exactly, and in that situation, that was really why it was yeah. I think this is how it works, but the fallout is large. You know, like it mm-hmm. could be a two million dollar tax issue. So you know, I want to get a third party that is experienced to get the advice and also cover for insurance purposes. And yeah, so I've used it for that side of things as well. cover there and also just if I'm not 100% sure how it works for that side. I'd recommend all members, if you do have anything like that, to utilize it, especially Mm. because we get the four credits a year. So why not?
1: Yeah. And some of the advisors on there are like partners at major law firms. One of them's Terry Budge, who was actually the managing director of Bankwest when I started there.
0: Oh, really? He was, (laughs)
1: yes. He actually gave me, tying into what you're saying before, so he came to our branch when I first started and he said basically that Bankwest, what they offer, is the same as what ANZ across the hall offer, or NAB, or Commonwealth Bank, or whatever it may be. And so, what differentiates us is the service that we offer. Yes, and that's something that's always stuck with me. So yeah, he's one of the advisors on there as well, which I found oh wow interesting that's when I found him on there. Oh
0: <laughs> 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 yeah, on that I hundred percent agree. Like I said, with the accounting industry and the IPA and stuff, there's a lot of competition out there, as we said. So what sets you apart? As a business, that's what you have to find, your little niche. So after the, and I'm going to butcher it again, Finzia? Finzia. (laughs) Finzia. Where did you go after that? What happened there?
1: Then I went to, so by then I was doing business development at Finzia. I ended up leaving when it became Kaplan. So (laughs) Finzia had sold its education product to Kaplan. And so there was Finzia, which was the membership association, was one entity, and Kaplan was the education entity. And my role at that stage was sort of across the two. I would have been taking a step back if I had stayed. Yep. So I decided to leave, and I actually moved to the Law Society. Yeah,
0: yeah so how was that?
1: That was really good. It was a challenge at times. So, again, a steep learning curve. I think every profession has, you know, so having gone from, Banking to government to environmental government to stockbroking and finance and then to law.
0: There's... <laughs> <One variety> there.
1: <laughs> so there was a lot of changes to make and different cultures of people, but again, really fascinating. So we looked after, you know, talking to the members and what they needed, what the different law firms were looking at. So in a similar way that the IPA does with our members where we go out and speak to members and say, how are you going? What's keeping you awake at night? What can we do to assist? I used to do that with the lawyers as well. Yeah. So always very interesting. Used to organize like a lot of events, high court dinners, things like that. For anyone doing events, if you're doing an event in honor of the high court judge, newly appointed high court judge, perhaps look at a photo so you don't ask his name when he comes in. <laughs>
0: It's a little embarrassing
1: on that one. <laughs> yeah, so that's my big tip. But then I also looked after committees. So we did continuing professional education for lawyers. And this is when they were bringing in, they had to meet the legal practice board and they had to do different levels of education. Worked a lot on that and the young lawyers committee and also the law office management committee there. So I did expos, sporting events. Young lawyers are very competitive. So oh, I could any of them. <laughs> And so they get their teams together in like the netball court competition or there's the volleyball, things like that. And so, yeah, they're always very competitive. Some of the best social events I've ever done. Did a law office expo. Highlight of the year was always Golden Gavel. That's where all the different firms sort of, they nominate one particular young lawyer mm-hmm. and then they'll come up and it's sort of the on a topic and a debate. It's very funny. It's adjudicated generally back then by... A range of people, but including the Chief Justice, who was Wayne Martin at the time. And one of those events where your cheeks actually hurt from <laughs> laughing so much. Because <laughs> these are people who are strongly trained in articulation and being able to present their views, and they do it in a very funny way. We also did things like advocacy weekends. So, where we'd take young lawyers away for a weekend, and we'd have a handful of high level barristers, judges, Lawyers, and they would basically film the young lawyers as they tried to promote a case or an mm. argument, and then receive the feedback from the judges and the lawyers. So that was always very fascinating as well. Yeah,
0: that'd be interesting. And as a, mm. well, not that I'm a lawyer, but if I could put myself in the shoes of a you know young lawyer that is just getting into the field, that'd be invaluable.
1: It was amazing. Yeah. So their ability to really integrate into the cross-networking between senior lawyers and the young lawyers was always really fascinating and there was a lot of mentoring by the senior lawyers to make sure that they were helping the next generation come up. So it was always really quite heartwarming to see.
0: Beautiful. Yeah, That if you were like a young lawyer coming out, you might be working in a decent law firm, but, you know, one, two years, just getting that feedback would be amazing and then that would push you forward ten times, what mm-hmm. it would have been. And then from the Law Society, what... What happened next? Where'd you go?
1: I went back to Finzia.
0: Okay, didn't get uh, back from.
1: No, one of my friends went on maternity leave. He worked there. So I went back in an events manager role there, organising. We did a lot of breakfast, luncheons, dinners with 100 plus people at them on various topics relevant to the finance industry. So I did that for about a year and a bit. One of the really good events that we used to do there that was just, again, in that same vein as the advocacy, we did uh, leaders in the midst. Mm -hmm. So we'd contact all leaders from across Perth. So we'd be contacting, I'm going to forget their names now, senior business leaders across Perth. High up people, yep. (laughs) High up people, the the sort of names that if I could remember one of them and I said that, everybody would know. (laughs) (laughs) And they would basically, we'd have lunch. So it'd be entree main dessert. And the leaders would move around the tables. So then basically young finance professionals get the opportunity to ask them different questions that had been happening, get that's their insights idea, and things like that. Yeah, yeah it was, and it was it's a really good idea. And it's also got
0: event. that semi-formal but not like a Q&A panel, like you are eating, mm-hmm. and you can have a chat and yeah.
1: Yeah, oh, much more intimate.
0: Yeah, that's the word I was looking for, which I think, you know, obviously how I sort of roll, it's very much like that, you know, informal, intimate, just having a chat, and I find that the best way to do it. And you can generally dive in deeper as well. Instead of just asking one question, you can have the flow on questions of wherever it may lead, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So you did that. That sounds awesome. Then where did we go?
1: So at that time, so when I had started at the Law Society, mm-hmm. it was around about the same time that, or oh, just beforehand, that I actually bought a franchise with my partner at the time and my parents, so that was a fast food restaurant down in Mandarin. We had that going in the background, so I had been working to a degree on that. I had split with my partner, so had had some issues actually being able to go down there and associate with it, so which had left a lot of the strain on my parents. but after Finzia my Now ex-husband, but boyfriend at the time had a business. So I had taken some time to try and work on his business and find a way to make it viable unsuccessfully. It was a cabinet making business. He was a great example of someone who is fantastic at their trade, but didn't necessarily go through the process of getting an accountant and getting the assistance that they need to set up processes properly and to do everything well so that you know whether or not you're making a profit.
0: Unfortunately, there's a lot of people like that. Yeah, I do obviously try and train them. If they're walking in the door, that's a good first step. But, yeah, it's important to know, are you making money? Just because there's yeah. money in the bank doesn't really say, yeah, you're making that much money because there could be tax, for example. That mm-hmm. could be the GST sitting there and you're just spending it thinking, sweet, I'm, I'm all great, yep. and you just sting yourself a hole.
1: So after a couple of months of treading water there, I ended up doing some budgets. We're actually looked at, okay, so these were the costs and what have you. And so, okay, for us to make a profit, we need to bring in this amount of sales, which is like 10 times what we'd been doing. But then, if we brought in that amount of sales, we needed to hire extra staff because we didn't have staff to be able to make that quantity of product. And then, by the time we hired that staff, we then had to increase the sales again to cover. And it got to the point where it was not a financially viable business. So,
0: yeah, and it's hard, especially. I have been on that side of actually owning the business in that situation, but seeing people and advising that, it's almost like you're, this sounds bad, it's almost like you're telling them that their first born child is ugly. They love the business, they've built it, their heart and soul is into it and they're struggling and you are the one that says, yeah, look, I know you've done this, but it's not working and you've got to shut it down. It's never a fun conversation. Obviously, try and save it as much as possible, but... Sometimes you do have to, and the reactions vary massively from just complete denial to kind of, I suppose you do know it anyway instinctively, but when somebody just literally lays it out and goes, yeah, look, you can't, like pull the pin, there can be some relief there as well. But, yeah, it's yeah. not the best part of the job.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's also like because... Generally, people own a business, they've invested a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of effort and they think that around the corner, things will just get better. If I just do this or if I just give this, you know, with the fast food restaurant that we owned, that was very much the case where we just kept, you know, we had a range of things go wrong Mm. for us in, in that environment, but just hold out that little bit longer and it just became worse and worse and worse as we went through.
0: Yeah, and you go, look, I can do another three months. Let's do it. It's going to come back. You know, we're going into summer. There's going to be more people. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it does pick up and you're sweet. But at some point, you do have to go, is it worth it? When did you actually join the IPA? I
1: joined the IPA in February 2013.
0: Okay. So, was that the next one after?
1: Uh, No, there was a couple of other temp jobs. I did a contract at Fremantle Ports. I did a contract at Tourism WA. What
0: was it like at Tourism WA? I feel like that'd be
1: interesting. Yeah, it was really interesting. I loved it. They brought me in for six months to just help out because they were short-staffed. One of their staff had had a promotion and couldn't do two things at once. So I did the coordination of Tourism WA's attendance at the caravan and camping shows around the country. Oh, yeah. So we'd sort of go to Adelaide, Melbourne, what have you, and set up a stand and then talk to people about where to go in Western Australia, different things to look at, which ways to go, what times you want to be going to different oh. things, you know, looking at the extraordinary, you know, WA's got some amazing tourism destinations and things that you can't do anywhere else, and especially if you're camping. So things like Exmouth and being able to swim with the whale sharks there in Ningaloo Reef. The pinnacles are something that you don't see anywhere else. Yeah. You know, we've got the Strummer Lights up north. We've got the, I can never say the proper name, so the Bungle Bungles, and I apologise because I know it's like Pernalulu, up in the Kimberleys and, you know, Broome and basically everything along the Gib River Road up in the Kimberleys just, you know, is a place I desperately need to get to and see, so.
0: Yeah. I haven't been up north that far, but when I've seen the pictures of the Kimberleys and especially like the outback sort of Kimberleys, mm. It looks amazing. And it was a client that I used to have, they were up north in Derby and Mm -hmm. they had helicopters and all that sort of thing. And they actually were involved with the prison. So they were supplying stuff to the prison up there. And they would go fishing, but they would fish in these rivers that were so remote you had to go by helicopter. And they're just pulling out massive barramundi and all sorts I was very jealous. Not that I'm a massive fisherman, but hey, I'd be keen on that one.
1: The people up there are a bit strange as well. I remember being in Adelaide at one of the the shows and there was a gentleman there from Derby, you know, so we'd bring in people from the different regions as well to be able to talk about things. And he was from Derby and we'd be talking about, you know, this particular creek or watering hole or, or what have you up there where you could go gorges so people can go swimming in the gorges you see those photos yeah and they'd be like oh no are there any crocodiles there oh yeah but they're just freshies
0: I don't know about (laughs) that
1: (laughs) so but you know it's only the salt ones you care about I'm like they all seem to have really big teeth
0: (laughs) they do they do and I'm not a fan of any of them (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah my partner's brother he's up there a lot and he sent video of swimming with a freshie that was just a no that was a hell no on that one. I don't know. Fair. Some
1: of these places look pretty amazing. I would like to think I'd be able to get over my fear. I'm just I'd not
0: like sure to about I it. I could, but I doubt it. So <laughs> Let's go on the assumption we were allowed to travel anywhere in WA because for those that don't know, we've got internal borders that are closed at the moment due to COVID. So let's just assume that that wasn't the case right now. Yeah. Where would you want to go? If Eggsmouth
1: than the whale shark.
0: Beautiful. Yeah, that does. I
1: desperately want to get up there and, you know, you see the images of these beautiful fish, biggest fish in the world, and Ningaloo Reef, everything like that. Yeah, I desperately want to get up there. I've been swimming with wild dolphins before in New Zealand and it was one of the most magical experiences ever. So to be able to do that with a whale shark in the wild where you're not impacting them, you're not damaging them in any way or, or causing them harm, yeah, that'd that would be
0: fabulous. That would be amazing. And the sheer size of them. Yeah. It would put everything in perspective. Yeah. I would love to do that as well. It just does scare me a little bit being in the open ocean. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm a little you can bit. tell of
1: a, you're a boy who's growing up around great white sharks yeah. being in the ocean.
0: <laughs> exactly. You know, I don't go very deep. I'm like waist deep. That's about the deepest <laughs> I go. There's always a few shark attacks around here. But yeah. So it's now a
1: good uh, time to point out the amount of people are being grabbed, you know, knee deep in the water.
0: I know, but it makes me feel better. (laughs) (laughs) But I do know knee deep they come in and they'll grab you as well.
1: (laughs) I just work on the theory dusk and dawn. Don't go in the water at dusk and dawn.
0: That's true. Breakfast and dinner, don't want to be either of those to the Great (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: White. I grew up in Esperance, so you learned that one very quickly.
0: Yeah, you would down there as well.
1: (laughs) Fishing, so fishing right on dusk is obviously the best time, but the amount of fish that got brought in. And literally, it was not out very far, like ten meters, if that. And the fish had come in, and it was in half.
0: Yeah, that doesn't fill so you with confidence to go swimming.
1: No, it really doesn't. <laughs> it kind of like, yeah, not going to do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll just observe the beauty from the land and yeah. <laughs> the IPAs. So you started that in twenty thirteen. Yes. How did you find the IPAs?
1: I'd been doing again temp work, so. Basically, my careers being long contracts with temp work in between. I came across an advert for the events role. So at the time, the IPA had lost two staff members. We're a team of three, so that's significant. <laughs> so there was an events role, so that's someone who looks after the CPD for accountants, which at the time was predominantly in our office, eight people coming to a CPD training session. We didn't do larger events and things like that. So I went for that role and Darren Roxburgh, who was the general manager at the time, said, don't think you're best suited for this, but I'm advertising this one next week. So come along for that. And that was the membership services role. So I did that and yeah, got the job on as the membership service uh, member growth and something or other. Very yeah. long title.
0: The full title of it, but yep, you dealt with it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> How long did you do that?
1: So I did that. February through to December. So in that time, I came on, I got married, I got pregnant, and then Darren resigned, so he went on to a new opportunity.
0: (laughs) The cat coming to say hello. (laughs) Yes,
1: very. (laughs) The difficulties of working from home. And so I applied for the DGM role five months pregnant, yeah, and got it.
0: Sweet. Yeah. That's good. Because it would have been around that time that we would have met then, eh? Because it was just before you went on maternity <laughs> leave. hmm So you can't get rid of me.
1: No, absolutely. Uh, six
0: years ago? Seven years ago?
1: <laughs> six. Six. Six and a bit.
0: <laughs> That's right. Yep. <laughs> and then when you came back, you were the general manager?
1: So I was the general manager just before I left. So I became the general manager in December. And then ended up having to go on early mat leave in March, April. So in that time, sort of hired staff and tried to get my head around everything. Did budgets for the first time. That was fun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> always.
1: Um, oh, always. And then, yeah, went on leave and then started to come back. So I had a very short mat leave period and started to come back a couple of days a week after two, three months.
0: How would you find that? New bub and then having to work and juggle all of those commitments?
1: Being a slight workaholic, like I actually enjoyed being at work and things like that, but it was a real, the theory of mum guilt is something that's real and difficult. So you very much feel like, you know, he had to go to childcare at a young age. You very much feel like you're not there enough for your children, that you're not doing enough for your children. You constantly feel guilty that you're not enough there. But at the same time, you feel guilty that you have to leave work to go, pick, well, now to go pick him up from school or, you know, working from home to go deal with, you know, sit with him for 20 minutes just so that he feels connected to you. It's mm. this constant battle of guilt. would
0: We're trying to juggle that. Obviously, yeah, I, so I, th- that but I would imagine that, <laughs> but that would be hard. Yeah. Yeah,
1: there's a meme or something going around where it's like society expects mums to parent like they don't work and work like they don't have children.
0: Yeah, as harsh and sad as that is, that's pretty
1: true. Like- yeah, so it's hard, but, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm not someone who could stay at home with my child, you know, all power to those women who do, and it's not a, a judgment call at all on anyone except for myself. I'm not a mum. I don't do the playing and the education. Like some people are fantastic at it, and I look at them going, I wish I could, but that's not me. And I wouldn't trade my son for the world and I love my time with him.
0: Yep. But yeah. A beautiful little boy. (laughs)
1: He has his moments.
0: (laughs) How long have you been general manager then?
1: Seven years this December, so six and a bit, six and a half.
0: Oh, yeah. So in that time, because it would have been the National Institute of Accountants, wasn't it, at the start?
1: No, I was always IPA. National Institute of Accountants happened in 2011, so we changed our names then.
0: Gotcha. So for those listening the Institute of Public Accountants used to be the National Institute of Accountants and then it got rebadged in 2011. So I actually realised that that's, what, nine years ago now?
1: Yeah, 10-year anniversary next year.
0: Wow, doesn't feel like it was that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> Over that time, have you found the expansion and the growth?
1: Yeah, so I came in at an interesting time. So even as the membership services person, one of the first things I kind of made Darren agree to was that we do a Congress. He was unsure that you know that people would be wanting to spend the money and things like that. But we started the WA Congress for the first time in two thousand and fourteen, which Darren and I started. Darren had left by then and the day that it happened was the day I was giving birth. So we weren't much.
0: That was (laughs) (laughs) timing was impeccable. (laughs) Oh,
1: absolutely. We started doing the congresses and the larger events which have grown and developed and improved significantly to something now that I think is a highlight of a lot of people's years education wise. 2015, we started to really suffer from the mining boom downturn here in Perth. So we went from basically we could have put on anything in the middle of the mining boom and got heaps of people through, but that really changed. So we had to really look at what events we were holding how we're holding them and sort of change the way that we did things. So there was a lot more research into the types of topics we were doing and really trying to find out exactly what the members wanted to come to, what they were willing to pay money to come to as well so that we could hold them. So that meant a lot more masterclasses. So it was a mixture of different topics so that then we could throw in some topics that they may be very interested in or that they needed to know but wouldn't necessarily... Come along to if it was just held on its own. So, I started changing the way we did things there. We also had to move office. Our lease came to an end. Yeah. So, we had this lovely little tiny office in South Perth that I was very keen to move out of. (laughs) And at this time, because of the mining downturn, commercial real estate was incredibly cheap. So a lot of the mining companies had consolidated, lost workforces, a lot of the exploration mining companies and the junior mining companies had folded. So there was commercial real estate everywhere, as well as a lot of buildings had finished all at the same time. So we took that opportunity to move into the city, the outskirts of the city, so that we could be more central, but also have a larger space and a sort of a more engaging working environment for the staff, but also somewhere for members to be able to come and feel like they'll Comfortable, have a chat with us, or what have you.
0: Beautiful, and yeah, the new location—it's great. You got the yep. conference room there and kitchenette section, and yeah, mm-hmm. and it's really good. Even popping up for a coffee or whatever. So
1: we love it when you come in with coffee.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Never seen you all light up so much, <laughs> <laughs> and it's not because
1: so. of, <laughs> <laughs> of course it is, Mitch. Of course it is. <laughs> Some of the other things we started doing was taking events, and this was just before we moved. I started to want to take events out to the regions, so we started doing a did a tax event in Kalgoorlie. Lost a lot of money doing that, but it ended up being one of those things where, again, it's that short term pain for the long term gain. So the people in Kalgoorlie and the people in the regions in West Australia loved the fact that we were going out there. So yeah. we didn't, you know, didn't cover costs the first time around, but. Then we got memberships from it. Next time we went, more people came and more memberships. And so, yeah, and they really do appreciate us actually heading out there and chatting to them and being there for them and providing that training. So
0: Yeah, because um, I could imagine because I would assume, even let's go with semi-regional. I'm an hour south of Perth. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a normal thing. They would get lots of training and stuff in mm. person when you're seven hours out of Perth, you know, so as an institute going out and, yeah, supporting those regional members. That would be a massive benefit.
1: We took that then to the tax agent Guide, which we then made the roadshow so so taking that out to regional. So we now take that to Geraldton, Kalgoorlie, Bunbury, Busselton type area, Albany, and this year wanted to do it in both Gingerluck, Mandra and Perth just to do that spread across the Perth region. Unfortunately, we're not doing any of those this year and we'll be doing it online instead. Double but one. you know, that was the concept.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one day, Mandra will have one. One day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then my favorite one, the barley stuff.
1: I've been in head office and someone had made a our CEO is a bit of a barley lover, as are a couple of staff, and they sort of went, Oh, you should do an event up in Bali. And so I was like, okay.
0: <laughs> yep, that works.
1: <laughs> Our New South Wales team had done a tax retreat over in Nemea. So we started to develop that idea and do it in Bali. 2017 was the first time we did it. Learned a lot about doing international events with that one. That was very challenging and one of the most interesting things we've done. So we organised this event, went over and looked at venues and what have you, and we'd organised assistance from a company that sort of talks to venues and does a negotiation for you. And they'd recommended this particular venue and we went and saw it and it was still being built. But, you know, it was supposed to have been done in January. It's just a week or two away, it'll be fine. (laughs) So that was great except for it came to, we had the event in September. It was July, August, still no venue. It wasn't opening. You know, oh, we just need to get the fire testing done. We did, yeah. So then we had to quickly change venues at the drop of a hat, which thankfully because they were part of a like a global chain. We were able to then move to the Western, which was a beautiful resort and not something we could have afforded without being charged the prices of the other hotel. So we were there in Nusa Dua and so we changed venues. Around about this time was when Mount Agung started erupting and we had a volcano eruption. And this was six weeks out from the event. So I learnt more about geology and volcanoes than what (laughs) I ever wanted to learn at all, ever.
0: But the event um, was amazing. It was was, participants and it was incredible. The Western was beautiful and learnt so much and it was a great time.
1: So we had 29 people that first year. So we did a tax retreat with Peter Adams from Augmenter. And so it was a full day of education. We did like a welcome drinks on the beach for people, a full day of education the next day. Then we had a gala dinner in the garden with Balinese dancing and fire dancing and all the rest of it. A full day of training the next day and then sort of like a farewell drinks and uh, then a tour the day after. So um, it was really fabulous.
0: When I'm very hungover. (laughs) 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 The Brockers were getting smashed those days. (laughs) It was amazing. I loved it. Yeah, obviously as a consequence of that, I've been the next two years, was planning on this year, but being pushed off. But, yeah, we um, postponed
1: it till 2021 now, but we'll make sure there's a reunion event that makes it worth the
0: wait. Yes, 100%. How are the numbers over the, over the years, I suppose, once the first one got done?
1: So the first one, again, was one of those events where we broke even, but not much else. And considering that we were charged prices that that hotel would never normally charge. So we had 29 people. The next year we went to the Trans Resort in Seminyak and we had 50 people, I think, 55.
0: Damn, that's a good increase. It's almost Mm. done.
1: And then last year we were at the Sofitel in Nusa Dua and it was about 65.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I I like those numbers because it's still, obviously it's big enough, it's economical, et cetera, but Mm. it's also still intimate. Like I do like that about the Bali sort of vibe. So you know pretty much everybody there, and you do annual catch ups, like with the girls from over east that come over,
1: Jolene and Lindsay.
0: That's the ones (laughs) Uh, annual catch up.
1: The people at the the Bali event. So we've got a good group who came to the first one and have been to everyone since, and then even the ones who came to the second one for the first time. You know, they're really creating this this real vibe. So I love the fact that we have these two members one's from WA, one's from Queensland, who came and got along famously. But their husbands came as well, and they got along famously. And yeah, so what we're
0: talking about
1: now. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> and so they during the day, the husbands go off to the bar, they go off there, what have you. They end up at like the farewell drinks in Hawaiian shirts and are loud shirts, and, you know, they've got this little posse.
0: Yep.
1: Then the next year, there was a new couple, and they got along really well, and the husbands got along really well again. And so farewell drinks. There's three husbands there in these loud, obnoxious <laughs> Hawaiian shirts.
0: Yep, the 3 and, <laughs> Yeah,
1: the Bali crew, they call That's themselves. Okay. Yep,
0: the Bali crew, yep. And,
1: and then last year there was another couple who came for the first time. Another husband joined the crew. <laughs> Four of them in there with the shirts on. And it's just, you know, and we know that they stay in contact. We know that the members themselves are, contacting each other from across the country and forming that relationship and that network and, and, you know, that family we were talking about.
0: And that's all because of Bali, you know, otherwise they may not never have met. so
1: Exactly. So, and yeah, just really fabulous and, you know, some of the members, you know, you mentioned Lindsay and Jolene, you know, and some of the other members from over east as well. You know, I am regularly telling staff from the other divisions that I'm stealing their members that I want them. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Wow. <laughs> I agree. We'll tell them all to move <laughs> over <home> to WA. <laughs> oh,
1: absolutely. <laughs> so, no, it's a it's a fantastic event and one that I'm really privileged to have been a part of for the last three years and hopefully years going forward yeah. after we can travel.
0: Yeah, yeah, once we're allowed to, allowed to go <laughs> back. So. Yeah. Well, that's just over an hour, I think. That flew by, didn't it? I've just got a few real quick questions there. Just, mm-hmm. just a quick five. What do you think is the most important quality in business?
1: Well, if you haven't noticed, I can't answer a question with just one word. So, you know,
0: it's <laughs> so okay. Me give me a a second. I? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think really that perseverance and ability to work hard and to keep going. So, I think it was Thomas Edison. It's the I haven't failed, I've just found 10,000 ways it didn't work.
0: <laughs> Very true. So, I, like, I like
1: it. Yeah. So, just sort of continuing to to keep trying and try different ways, you know, don't be afraid to fail. But other than that, you know, ask for help. So if you're setting up, if you're starting, ask for help early. Get your accountants involved. Get your lawyers involved because, again, don't wait until it's too late for them to be able to help you. You know, I know with my business, the fast food restaurant, you know, if we'd gotten help earlier, the result might not have been different but probably the amount of money lost would have been.
0: So, you know, get help early. The quicker you can get on to it, the better. And even if the result's not different, at least it does reduce the damage.
1: Yeah. And other than that, know what's profitable, especially in the service industry. You know, I've got people who I know who run daycares who, you know, they bring in another child, they do this, they do that. You know, they're working, I don't actually know the figures, but they get $500 for doing this, but they work another 15 hours. It's like going, well... How much is that per hour by the time you've fed the child, you exactly, know, all the like rest the of it? the
0: costs go into it and, yeah, yeah, no, I agree. You know,
1: get help with that.
0: So if you had one superpower, what would it be?
1: Um, Tired on this one. I've probably got two that I would want. Again, I can't give one-word answer. So <laughs> either the ability to teleport, just to be able to go somewhere instantly, be there, I hate waiting, I'm impatient and, you know, i <laughs> like to be able to go around and see things. So that would be amazing to travel at all at the moment, or other than that, to be able to read minds, and that's mainly just because I'm nosy. (laughs)
0: Love it. Nice and honest with that one. (laughs) (laughs) If you could give yourself, your younger self, one piece of advice, what would it be?
1: I would suppose study early. It doesn't matter if you don't know what you want to do, you don't know who you want to be. There was a great song when Romeo and Juliet came out, the Baz Luhrmann one, about wearing sunscreen. And one of the pieces of advice in that, and I'm going to bastardize this because I don't know the exact words, where it's, um, don't worry if you don't know what you want to do. Some of the most interesting 20-year-olds I know don't know. Some of the most interesting 40-year-olds still don't know. But, you know, learn, go study, go get your university degree early when you can, just learn. And with that, travel as well, see the world. Like, it's not just what you learn from books. It's seeing the world, experiencing the world, you know, and do that early whilst, you can, whilst you don't have the commitments and the ability.
0: That makes sense. What's your favourite footy team?
1: I'm a Dockers girl.
0: I was about to cut the <laughs> podcast short if you said the Eagles. <laughs> uh, no,
1: I um, I actually converted from the Eagles to the Dockers in 2006. So Bravo. I did the opposite. Most people jump on the bandwagon in a premiership year, and I jumped off.
0: <laughs> you did, you did, but I'm proud so, you came to the right top. <laughs>
1: Uh, absolutely I couldn't go back at all but yeah sometimes I wish the Dockers would win a few more games
0: yeah look it it would be nice at least (laughs) one cup Uh, that would be nice yeah (laughs) (laughs) and what's your favorite book of all time I see you got a bookcase in the back there
1: yeah I've got a few so I have a range of different things so I read a lot my book taste. It's a bit like my movie and TV taste I've realised hasn't evolved too much since I was a teenager, which isn't necessarily anything yeah. to be proud of. It's all
0: Twilight and stuff still, is it? or
1: No, but yeah. not much better. <laughs> <laughs> not too much better. I'm a Buffy fan, so, you know, vampires don't glitter. But that probably says enough in itself. I went through a stage where I decided to read a lot of the classics and at that time read, like, George Orwell's 1984, always been a fan of Animal Farm. So, yeah, anything by him. To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Leaves, another one that's always really resonated with me as well. But yeah, probably Animal Farm is the one that's always stuck with me. Okay. Okay.
0: I haven't actually read that one yet. I've read 1984, Uh, which was awesome in a terrifying way. Um, Yes,
1: (laughs) which makes me very concerned about downloading an app at the moment. Yeah,
0: I agree. I agree.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm torn between this. Do I do it for the good of the country or?
0: Yeah, Mm. my tinfoil hat's kind of out as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Absolutely.
0: (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Cool. Well, that's the quick five. Yeah, thank you for your time. and uh, Thank you for having me. a really interesting podcast and, you know, hopefully the listeners get something out of it. And if I do have any listeners that are accountants and want to join or discuss the IPA, what's the best way they can contact you?
1: So the IPA is here in Western Australia would be publicaccountants.org.au or send us an email, which is Karen.simmons at publicaccountants.org.au. Otherwise, if you want to get in touch with me personally, other than that would be via LinkedIn. So that's linkedin.com slash in slash Simmons.
0: Beautiful. Well, thank you very much. And hopefully they um, don't spam you too much. <laughs> 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 But, yeah, if any accountants or you want any further information, I would highly recommend getting in touch with Karen. Stay tuned for future podcasts.
1: Thank you very much, Mitch.
0: You've been listening to The Mitch Maroney Show. Mitch Maroney Show. Stay tuned for more.